0: Hey, everybody. It's Breaking PETA with Z. That's me. I'm your host, Zohar Huber. And today I have a very special guest. He ran for governor of Michigan. Before that, he served as the health commissioner in the city of Detroit. Dr. Abdul El-Sayed is a physician, epidemiologist, public health expert, progressive activist. He's the chair at South Paw, Michigan. He has his own podcast, America Dissected, a podcast by Crooked Media. And he has a book coming out, Healing Politics, and you can go to HealingPoliticsBook.com. Hi, Abdul.
1: Hey there. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you for being here. I appreciate it. So we're going to be talking about mental health in the Arab-American community. You're Arab-American. You've dealt with health. You're a doctor. Um, So first of all, tell me a little bit about what your experience has been concerning mental health in the Arab community.
1: Yeah, Zahra, thank you for um, taking the time to chat on this topic because I think it needs uh, to be talked about. Because there's so much stigma with uh, mental illness and, and mental health in our communities. And unfortunately, what that means is that a lot of people suffer alone. And, um, and that's part of the problem. Uh, when you look at where we are, just to give you a, a broader sense of, of where we are as a country, um, a lot of people don't know this, but American life expectancy has fallen for the past three years in a row. And the big reason why has been a spike in a couple of critical outcomes, um, death by suicide, Uh, And then death by overdose. And
0: you're definitely hearing about both of those in the news a lot more lately too.
1: Yeah. And they're affecting the Arab American community. Yeah. And when you think about why that is, right, there's a lot of different factors. But one thing that has occurred is that we're starting to see um, increases in, in social isolation and loneliness, and it's it's crazy to think that in this hyper connected world, that actually a lot of us are disconnected, and that's because what we've sometimes done is traded sort of online engagement yes. with people for real engagement with people, and um, and this is happening in in the Arab American community as well. The good news is that um, social social isolation uh, and even even um, depression are less common uh, among Arab Americans, um, but they are increasingly common. They're happening yeah. more and more. Um, and, um, and because of the stigma in our community, people don't seek support when they need it. Um, and, and, and that causes, um, bad outcomes for people and, uh, it's something that we need to highlight. So I'm really glad that you're talking about this and and using your platform to educate folks because it's critical.
0: And I know that you mentioned the word stigma a few times. I mean, okay, so my own personal story, I've dealt with depression and anxiety most of my life and I did not know what I was dealing with because, my Arab father, my so I'm half Iraqi, and he did not want to send me to therapy because what will people think, right? If you go to therapy. And so um it took me, I'm in, I'm 35, so it was by the time I was probably like 28, 29 when I finally talked to my doctor, like, I don't think this is normal the way I'm feeling. You know, I feel like anxious, I feel sad, and like and he finally is like, Oh, you're dealing with depression and anxiety. And I mean, it took over most of my life, but yet I didn't know about it. You know, thankfully it wasn't as severe as other people were, you know, they get suicidal or OD or things like that. But I mean, that's my personal story. So I've seen it firsthand about the stigma surrounding it. Like don't go to a, a, a therapist or don't go to a psychiatrist because people are going to think something or you're not strong. You have to be stronger. You're not just do something fun. Don't be sad. You know, it's very simple in the Arab cultures, what they say. But um, like you said, it's such a stigma to like, even talk about it, about mental illness. I've known families whose kids have autism and they won't take their kid to a doctor because they don't believe that they have autism. They're like, no, they're fine. There's just, you know, it's a little socially awkward. It's fine. Do you see that firsthand at all, especially you being, you know, a physician and dealing with the public health aspect?
1: Yeah. So, um, I want to know, I don't see patients on a regular basis. I, I'm yeah. not um, I'm not a practicing clinician. I'm a public health doctor. Yep. My wife is a psychiatrist, though. <laughs> um, so this is something we talk about often. Um, you know, I, first of all, thank you for being brave and sharing your story. Uh, I know that's not easy because of the stigma, but it also helps to take the edge off of it for mm-hmm. folks to say, you know, other people, um, deal with this too. And if they can get help and and if they can, uh, deal with their challenges, I can too. And and that's what it takes. But you see this in the community often, right? People are in denial and they're so worried about what other people are going to think that, um, they don't, they don't focus on themselves and they don't do the things that, um, will help them be healthy in the long term, And that can be disastrous. Um, I think the, the key thing for us, right, is to recognize the parts of our culture, uh, that do benefit when it comes Um, to mental health. And that's togetherness. Yes, family. uh, Yeah, family and friends and engagement and community. Um, And those things really, really matter. But Mm -hmm. in those spaces, um, we can't pretend like everything's sunshine and lollipops, that everything's okay Um, just because we keep saying that it's okay and turning a blind eye. Um, We've got to be confident and comfortable in those community spaces and in those spaces with our families to have those conversations and to have them empathically, right? Yeah. I think one of the challenges sometimes is that because we don't have the conversations, when we do have the conversations, um, it doesn't it doesn't come out in an empathic way. Mm-hmm. Um, rather than saying, you know, how do we talk about this together? Because I know we're all hurting because of it. We say, why are you shutting me out of the space? Yeah. And it can feel like that. And I'm not trying to take away anyone's emotions. But sometimes the best time to have a conversation is not when it's acute, Um, but to even have that conversation. And that takes everyone, people who are suffering um, to be brave and share their stories, but also people who are allies who um, may not be suffering right now, but want to make sure that our spaces are comfortable and confident places for people to be who they are and to deal with their challenges without being judged by it. Because the best way to deal with what will they think is to hit it head on, right? Is to say, look, you know, like everyone, I'm a flawed human being. And, um, and I'm doing the things that I can to heal, because that's what matters to me. And I hope that you'll support me through it. And I think when you hit that conversation that way, um, you know, it it definitely moves. And it means that we have to have the conversation before it ever happens, right? Mm -hmm. So that people do feel safe uh, in, in our community, talking about these things and talking about them openly and talking about them positively because you know, the, the, the healing is a positive thing. Um, and so my, my hope is that, you know, in your highlighting this issue and our collectively talking about it, um, what we can do is, is help empower people in their own families and in their own communities to have this conversation, not just because they may be dealing with it, but because somebody else might be.
0: Do you think there's a a big difference between older generations and the younger generations? Because, you know, younger generations, you get more comfortable using the word therapy even, for instance. I mean... Mm -hmm. Um, My parents would never use that word, but I mean, I'm more comfortable and I'm not completely comfortable even saying, you know, I hear like non-Arabs say, yeah, my therapist and I blah, blah, blah. You know, it's so easy for them to just roll off their tongue that they're talking about their therapist. For me, I'm still like my therapist, Hmm. you know, I'm still like whispering the word, but I'm still kind of talking about it. Um, But do you think that there's like a big difference between just the older generation and the younger generations with that?
1: I think, I think there is. And I think, what we ought to do right um, in, in terms of younger folks, it, we ought to have that conversation in a way that is empowering and that is approachable for folks um, there's a lot of misconceptions about what a therapist does yeah. right there's the idea that they're going to like control your mind yeah. and, you know, make you think a bunch of things or don't understand your culture but you know my, my wife who's uh, who's Indian American but Muslim american uh, she is a psychiatrist and I, I hear every day about somebody from our community who's approached her and said, you know, I need care, right? Obviously she doesn't tell me who they are, but, um, and, and, you know, that's not the point. It's that, it's that people are coming and they know they need help, but don't feel like they can have a conversation openly, right? Or don't feel like they can make use of the other resources that are available in our community. Um, and so, um, and so we've got to get confident empowering the generation above us to have that conversation and to talk about it. And also, um... And just opening up and talking about it because yeah. I found that, you know, when over time, if you continue to drive a conversation in the right direction, even if people are resistant in the beginning, they, they move to, right? yeah. they start to change, they start to think differently and they start to feel empowered to have that conversation. And, you know, I hate to say it, there are a lot of folks in that generation who are suffering and don't even have the language to talk about it. And I think even if we're willing to destigmatize it a little bit, um, for them, even if they're, they, they oppose the conversation entirely. Even if they don't say it, it does make them a bit more yeah. comfortable. And um, and I think w- we have that responsibility to people in our generation and to the people generation ahead of us and certainly to the people generation coming under us. But I think it's an important thing that our uh, younger folks in our community are feeling more and more confident having this conversation because it's a part of life um, and it's it's important for us to, um, to be talking about it.
0: Now, um, I think another issue too is there aren't a lot of Arab psychologists or psychiatrists psychiatrists out there either because, I mean, even for me, you know, I've seen a few and four out of five of them were non-Arab. And then I finally found the fifth one and she's Arab and it's a lot easier to talk to her because, you know, I bring up my culture and all the cultural problems, et cetera. And so do you think that's another issue is that there's just not enough people to who are studying that field or who are going into that field, women especially maybe? Um, you see, you know, I feel like a lot more men in that field, Arab men than women, is that an issue too? And and what can we do to change that?
1: No doubt. I mean, my wife got a lot of pushback because she wanted to go into psychiatry. Um,
0: that they want her to be a doctor. <laughs> yeah,
1: well, she, she is a doctor, and but she's a she's like a, a doctor,
0: doctor, like exactly. a physician. Said, well, yeah.
1: Well, um, so to, to to clarify, so as a psychiatrist, you are a physician. Yeah, you're just a mental health mental physician.
0: health physician. But
1: like, yeah, people would say, well, why don't you do pediatrics or why don't you do internal medicine or why don't you do something? Yeah, else? Yeah, I meant
0: internal medicine. Sorry. Yeah. No.
1: No worries. Um, but 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 there was even stigma about her doing this for for a living right um and it's funny because there's so much need and some of the same people who try to stigmatize her for doing it now come up to her and say well hey look i've got this person and they need help can you help right um small world it is but for those folks who are listening and thinking about what they want to do uh for a living and want to be um want to be in service of the community this is a really important thing you really should consider it um you know, there are a lot of career paths that, that lead you to being able to support somebody's mental health, and, um, and we need more people going into them because, because, you know frankly, the best spokespeople for the field mm-hmm. are people who do it day in and day out and yep. see people every day and watch them get better um, and watch them deal with their lives better because they're in therapy, because uh, they're taking medications if they need them, because uh, they are embracing what life offers, sometimes mm-hmm. the worst and, and hopefully the best. Um, but but yeah, we, we don't have enough uh, providers in the community who are culturally literate. And even among folks outside of the community, that cultural literacy is hard. And certainly when it comes to Arab American women, uh, we have we have too few providers. And, um, and so we've got to push in two ways. A, we've got to make sure that Arab Americans, and in particular Arab American women, are um, feeling comfortable and confident and capable to go into this field. And then second, we've got to make sure that we're working with Uh, providers who are not from our community to understand our community, right? And, you know, to dispel some of the stereotypes about uh, about who we are and what we believe and, and how we engage, and you know, to, to to really talk about some of the the uplifting parts of uh, who our community is and what we have to offer. And I think when it comes to mental health, one of the best things about our community is that we are we are a community. We commune yeah. and we come together. People uh, come together over all kinds of things, and that togetherness really matters. Um, the most important thing you can do for somebody is give them uh, time with someone else, and yeah. um, and our community does a good job of that. Now it's time to take that the next step and um, to use that to start uh, really talking about some of the challenges that, that some, some of us are facing alone um, and to create a space where they feel comfortable and confident being who they are um, and getting the treatment that they need.
0: So some of this, uh, I was online looking at researching a little bit. So um, a study finds that Arab Americans in a Michigan community are among least likely ethnic groups to seek help for depression from a mental health specialist. But they look from a primary care physician, which is really interesting to me. And then it says researchers aren't sure why the discrepancy exists, maybe because of the stigma associated with mental health in the community. And then um, they found that Arab Americans were less likely to complete a depression screening questionnaire than others, even including Asian Americans, African Americans and Latinos. Mm. Um, And then, of course, immigrants, U.S. born Arab Americans and refugees out of all of those refugees reported higher levels of depression and anxiety, which makes sense. And then Arab youth frequently troubled by it. So, I mean, when, I mean, there is a plethora of articles out there when I just typed in, all I typed in was Arab American and mental health. And it was just article after article after article about it. So, I mean, it's really prevalent where we talked about stigma. Where do you think the stigma comes from?
1: Yeah, I I think there's something about, um, about seeing mental illness as a moral failure. Uh, and as a personal failure, rather than the medical issue that it is.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think, you know, you think about even filling out a depression screening questionnaire, it would force you to admit that you might be depressed. Yeah, And, and in our community, we see that as a moral or a personal failure. And so we don't want to admit that more than anybody else to ourselves. Um, even if it means that we might have the opportunity to get the help that we need to, mm-hmm. to feel better. And, um, And I think we have a set of cultural norms where there's a lot of shame in our in our community and um, a lot of, you know, just wanting to keep up for everyone else's sake. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a lot of keeping up with the we're not going to say the Joneses, we'll (laughs) we'll say the uh, Jamels. Right. Um, And folks feel like they really need to keep up with everyone else. Uh, And and I think there is a responsibility that we have to to bring this out into the open and to say there is no shame in having a medical issue. You wouldn't shame somebody uh, for you know, needing knee surgery, you wouldn't shame somebody for getting cancer. You wouldn't shame them uh, for having diabetes. So yeah. why are we shaming them for mental illness? And um, and let's also talk about the fact that uh, this is something that affects one in six people yeah. in uh, in in our country over a lifetime. Mm-hmm. And certainly because there is a high proportion of people who've suffered trauma in our community. Um, you know, you talked about the refugee community in particular, it's going to be more common. And um, we're not doing anybody any favors uh, when we ignore that there are painful things that people have to deal with. And when we force them to keep up a happy face and to deal with them alone, uh, we make it less less likely that they're going to deal with them and uh, more likely that their consequences will be grave. And so I just think that there's an opportunity we have to step up and have that conversation. You're leading it here. Mm-hmm. Uh, other folks are having that conversation and driving it forward. Um, and I think over time we're going to see this shift. Um, I also think that there's there is there are hopeful stories that we need to be sharing too. People who suffered, got help, feel better. Yeah. Um, and can talk about that uh, because, because it gives other people permission to do the same thing. Absolutely. Right. Um, sometimes, you know, it, it's easy to, to let people suffer in silence, but the one thing, you know, I don't want people to do is to feel better, uh, in silence, right. Yeah. You got to let people know Absolutely. that, uh, that the support was there, that you took advantage of it, um, that you feel better because of it. And, uh, and it gives other people permission. And sometimes, I, I you know, the, the the thing that we we have to remember is sometimes the people who are the most shaming of a thing are the people who are suffering it themselves.
0: Yeah, right. Well, you because see that they, everywhere.
1: Right, and they don't <laughs> want to different it to things,
0: and different, you know, like uh, for instance, you know, people who are anti-LGBTQ. You know, that's right. Um, so yeah, you definitely see that. And you made a really good point about like the diabetes and things like that, because when I was kind of against taking any kind of medicine for depression, my doctor said almost the same exact thing. He said, okay, if you had heart problems, would you take medicine for a heart problem? Like, duh. You know, if you had diabetes, would you take something for your diabetes? I'm like, yeah, of course I would. He's like, mental health is the exact same thing. You need, sometimes you need medicine for any mental health illness and that kind of really resonated me with me and it stuck. And I tell people that who are depressed and who don't want to take medicine, I share that same message. Like, would you take something if you had, you know, the headache even, That's right. you know, something as simple as that. Um, so you, I, I really like that point that you make because that, that point really stuck with me when it came to taking medicine. And I want people to feel comfortable, you know, being able to do that. So what can we do... To change everything, I know you talked about talking with family, you know, being together as a community, et cetera. But I mean, what can we really do to make bigger steps Mm -hmm. in change?
1: So, a couple of things. I think, A, you're doing part of it here. We're having the conversation, we're doing it publicly, we're talking about it in our own community, uh, and we're doing it in a brave way. Um, The second thing is that if you are dealing with mental illness, you gotta get help. Yeah. It's out there. You got to get help. And um, you're getting help is going to make it more likely that the next person gets help too. Um, and then once you do get help, have that conversation with the people you love. Tell them about why you got help. Tell them about your experience. And then the last thing I'll say is that we've got to stop shaming people um, for a disease. Mm-hmm. And. When you find yourself passing judgment on somebody else's life, stop for a second and say, what would it feel like to me if I were in their shoes? Mm-hmm. How would I feel if somebody judged me because of a thing that was happening that was beyond my control? When people are depressed, they don't want to be depressed. When people are anxious, they don't want to be anxious. Yeah, um, It's not something that they want, and it's not something that they really have control over. We've got a responsibility to really think about what comes out of our mouths mm-hmm. and how that might shape somebody's life. Um, and what that consequence might be, and the last thing i 'll say is just let 's not forget you know th- the reason this disease is so dangerous is because it causes um, it causes deep pain while it's while it's while it's happening but let 's not forget it 's not deadly i mean that it is it 's just as deadly as other diseases um but but the mechanism is different, and yeah. so um we don't want to be in our in our own communities the cause um of of somebody 's danger, and uh we 've got to remember that um, in failing to open up, in failing to create a space where people feel like they can get help, um, that we might be doing that. And, uh, and so that empathy, and that, um, that way of being where you can encourage somebody, empower somebody, put yourself in their shoes for a minute. Um, I think it it is a critical aspect of our culture when we choose to practice it. Yeah. Um, and I'd I'd like us, you know, when we're engaging with our families and our friends and in our communities, that we punch up that empathy and maybe punch down that shame a little bit. Um, and I think it would be the better for everyone.
0: I like the walking in the shoes too, because I mean, I had a friend who like didn't understand sometimes when things were happening with me, but she ended up dealing with a little bit of depression. She's like, I like I completely understand. I'm sorry. You know that like I wasn't there. I didn't understand. So, definitely people putting themselves in other's shoes. And then also the social media aspect. You know, everybody has to please on social media and you know, you like you said you have to look good and uphold your image and things like that. I mean, you got to stop caring about that, right? I mean, you got to you have to and stop for me, as I got older, I just stopped caring about what people thought of me and like people would think like if they found out about this, you know? And so I think that's a big part. That's obviously something difficult to do in the Arab culture is to stop caring about your reputation or what people will think about you or things like that. Um, but do you agree that that's kind of part of it? Like oh, you yeah. have to really stop...
1: Performing. Yes. That's the challenge is that, you know, social media is so much about performing a thing yeah. rather than actually... Being a thing And it's okay To take some time off Right It's okay to just Not be on social media For a while Um, Yeah You're not going to Disappoint anybody Right And more importantly It allows you To actually be present In your own life I mean the number of times You like walk into a restaurant (laughs) Or you know Go um, to uh, a venue And it like The whole thing Has just become a platform For getting just the right Picture with just the right angle
0: Yep And the right lighting
1: Right And, And you ask yourself So What Yeah Right Who are you performing for? Mm -hmm. Um, And if that's eating at you and it's stopping you from being your healthy and whole self, then you got to take a break. Um, And also, we got to stop judging people's social media performance, right? Uh, You got to remember, like, the thing you're seeing on somebody else's social media is the highlight of their life. Yes. And even then, like, you got to sort of stop for a second and be like, wait, so you went and had this delicious meal. And the thing that you cared the most about was the picture you got of it. Yep. Come on. Um, so, I mean, all of Enjoy us... Enjoy the
0: moment. Yeah.
1: Like, all of us got to start, like, really living our lives. Yeah. Um, and being there with the people we love and in the moments that make a life, rather than trying to document the moments for a 24-hour Instagram story or something else, right? Exactly. Um, those things don't matter in the end. And, uh, and so, you know, th- there's something about losing um, the things that, m- that make you a real human, to try and put on display these things that are uh, sort of images of that. And yep. um, we've got to stop trading the picture of the thing for the real thing.
0: And we're all human. Yeah. I think everybody needs to remember we all have our own flaws.
1: I always, um, you know, I, I, every once in a while I'll try and, I try and post on something that didn't go well, <laughs> right? Because um, I want to tell people, I show yeah. people, it's like, you know, you're not living a highlight reel, yeah, right? Is that all of us have days that suck, that bad things happen, that yep. you just don't feel like waking up, let alone doing your work. Um, things don't go well. You don't win the thing that you, you know, put your mind to you. Um, you failed at something you wanted to succeed at. Uh, you know, the meal you made was burnt and tastes like crap. Like (laughs) those things happen, right? It's fine. Um, but that's life. And oftentimes if you're, if you're succeeding, you're not learning. Uh, and so, you know, you got to give people the space, uh, to fail and to, um, to, to, to learn from that. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, I just feel like, uh, pretending like everything's going perfectly well, and every every you know meal you ate is delicious, and every place you went was exciting, and every outfit you put on looked great mm-hmm. like that's just not how the world works,
0: yeah, pretending that's a good word too, so I have to ask you a semi political question.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> have you considered another run for governor
1: you know i um I don't know. I'll likely run for office again, I think. Okay. Um, I'll vote for you. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. Um, I, I'm not going to run in 2020. Okay. Uh, got some, some news coming um, on, on that front. Um, but, but hopefully sometime after that. Um, you know, I'm enjoying being a dad. I've got a two-year-old. Yeah, and, congratulations. You know, thank you. Uh, she reminds me of what matters. and <laughs> um, Enjoying being a husband uh, and spending my time with Sarah and um, enjoying uh, sort of being in the world without, without having to constantly be focused on the politics. Yeah. Um, But I think I'll be back out there. I think there are a lot of challenges um, that we need to solve and I hope that I have some input on solving them.
0: This is definitely one big one. So maybe your daughter, your daughter, right? Yep. Yeah. Will become a psychiatrist.
1: Maybe. Like her mama. She'd she'd be following in her mother's footsteps and I do hope that she follows in her footsteps and not mine.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on here. Guys, make sure to check out his podcast, America Dissected, a podcast by Crooked Media. And you said the book you can pre-order now?
1: Yep. It's called Healing Politics. You go to healingpoliticsbook.com, really talk about some of the challenges that we're facing right now. and. The, 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 the forces um, that are leaving us without the basic things that we need to live a dignified life um, and the kind of politics I think it, we can treat it. I tell a lot about my own story and um, and use science to make, um, I hope, some compelling arguments about the way the world is and more importantly about the way the world ought to be.
0: Awesome. So healingpoliticsbook.com. Make sure to check it out. Happy Thanksgiving, guys. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year since this is my season finale for the year. So All you right. uh, you made my final, my final episode. Again, thank you so much for taking time out. This was such an important topic and your input was so important. So my, thank you.
1: My privilege. Thank you for highlighting it. I'm honored to be on the show and I hope that uh, you continue to do this great work. Thank you. Maybe you'll be back. Yeah, I'd (laughs) love that. Season's Greetings.